This is the day they arrived. The object touched down 40 minutes ago. Mama, what's going to happen? I don't know. Hi, I'm Father Roderick, and welcome to this episode, which is called Secrets of Arrival. Arrival, the movie that is, that uh, uh, hit the theaters in at the end of 2016. And I'm just mentioning this in case you are listening to this perhaps years after I've recorded it. Another thing you need to know is that I am recording this outside. I'm uh, out for a walk on a Sunday afternoon. Um, it's the beginning of winter when I'm recording this, and it's just a gorgeous day. It's, uh, it's a lovely day to be outside, and why not combine that with a discussion of one of my favorite movies of 2016. Um, a movie that I hadn't heard much uh, about, uh, a movie that had a lot of good buzz from people that I trust, people that, just like me, are geeks, um, love science fiction movies. And uh, the only thing I knew going in was that it was about aliens <laughs> arriving on Earth. That's not the only movie that uh, has that, but that it was an intelligent movie. Um, it was definitely worth my time. This wasn't your run-of-the-mill here come the invaders and let's go kill a green, <laughs> green man from Mars. Um, that this movie was uh, was very different, and someone described it. It's like a combination of the movie Contact, and Close Encounters, and the X Files, and uh, that was very intriguing uh, for me as a description, because I happen to be a huge fan of those three franchises. Well, not really franchises. I mean, Close Encounters of the Third Kind was, of course, a, a one-time movie. Um, and so was uh, the other movie, Contact, with Jodie Foster. That's an old movie. <laughs> I, I re-watch it from time to time because I like it so much. But that's... I don't know when, when that movie was made. In the 90s, I think? Let me look that up. I've got IMDb here. And, uh, and of course, uh, X-Files... Uh, the mystery, um, the two uh, people, Scully and Mulder, who are investigating. And I think that's probably what the, the one who, uh, who added X-Files to the mix of descriptions uh, was referring to the two main characters in, in this movie, uh, Arrival. Um, also, a man and a woman. Uh, one is a scientist, the other one is a linguist. So, yeah, definitely uh, a bit of a parallel to the... Um, two main characters of the X-Files. Let me see, when was the X-Files? Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, that's from 1993. That's crazy. <laughs> so definitely time for uh, a, a new invasion story because you can't have enough of those. Now this is not just going to be a review. Um, this is going to be perhaps almost a bit, a bit of a meditation on, on the story and how it connected with me personally, the themes that touched me. But of course, I will add my thoughts to the mix as well. Uh, another thing you need to know is that this review, this, this episode presupposes that you've seen the movie. This is going to be full of spoilers or that you don't care. You don't plan on seeing the movie, but then I, I don't know why you would be listening to this. So make sure that you've seen the movie first before you uh, listen to this because you're going to be spoiled. And 
one of the main advice uh, pieces of advice that I w would like to give people or have already given people is um, try to know as little as possible about the movie. Don't watch the trailers. Uh, that's probably a good idea for many movies. Um, because nowadays trailers show so much and this movie hinges on discovery and on not knowing i mean that's part of the story that's that's the appeal of the story so the more you know in advance the less of a surprise certain moments key moments in the movie are going to be um but even if you've watched more of those trailers and uh, some of the surprises weren't that surprising to you some other people that walk the opposite direction. Clearly, I wasn't the only one who thought that this was a great day to be out in nature here. I'm walking, uh, by the way, on a small hill overlooking a lot of heather here, which, of course, is, uh, is all kind of gray-brown right now at this time of the year. And I'm heading for the, for the woods. Um, so birch trees, or actually lots of birch, tree, birch trees here in front of me. And uh, a bit further down the road, we'll enter uh, some, uh, some more. Uh, the, the forest gets a bit uh, thicker, uh, more, more trees, uh, Christmas trees, which is kind of fitting because, again, I'm recording this uh, at the beginning of winter. This is the week before Christmas that I'm recording this. And in a way, the movie The Arrival has elements of the, of the Christmas story, of the nativity story. That may surprise you because it's about aliens and, and spaceships. <laughs> but I truly believe that there is a link between this story, uh, the science fiction story, this movie, and uh, the nativity story. And on, and on a very important level, I think. I'm not sure if it's deliberate, but again, sometimes these themes resonate with us and even the writers may not be aware of where it originally comes from <laughs> or the deeper layers of their own imagination. So um, I will just do what I usually do with these the secret shows and that is to point to a deeper layer. Now, perhaps you may have a different take on the movie. I have to also, this is all kind of uh, a preamble or what's the word <laughs> these are just notes before we dive into the movie itself to, into the story of the movie but I've only seen the movie once um, this is definitely a movie that I will see more often in the future when it comes out on blu-ray or when it's on Netflix or uh, DVD because I, I think it's a story that has a lot of uh, depth to it, which may not be apparent uh, when you see it just once. Uh, I, I've got this strong feeling that there there is much more food for thought, um, especially in the second part of the movie. Um, but we'll see how far we can get in this uh, review slash meditation. I think I've mentioned everything right now. <laughs> Uh, the, let me add, I didn't see it in 3D. I don't even think this movie was made in 3D or made for 3D. It's just, and that's actually a good thing because <laughs> it really, the movie doesn't need it at all. There is enough depth in the story um, so that you don't need the visual depth. So let's dive in. So this movie, Arrival, um, 
as I said, has two main characters, uh, both of which have a specific role, although... Oh, wow, cool. (laughs) I clicked accidentally on the trailer. That's cool. Dr. Banks, you're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. You hear any words? Is that? Yes. Am I the only one having trouble saying aliens? So what do they look like? You'll see soon enough. They need to see me. Dr. Banks? Now that's a proper introduction. More objects have landed around the world. It's their language. Got 21 hours before they start global war. They're not our enemy. We need to talk to them. It's more complicated than that. How is it more complicated? Are you dreaming in their language? What does it say? Weapon. So how do we clarify their intentions? I go back in. What is she doing? You are committing an act of treason. Do you trust me? Okay, I didn't plan. I really honestly didn't plan on playing this trailer. But uh, it's actually quite quite fitting uh, because it introduces us to uh, some of the key elements, of course, of the story. And it may be a while since you've seen this movie. Um, so that's a good reminder. Again, I, I think this trailer showed way too much. Um, but anyway, that's how, that's how the business works. Features Amy Adams in, in a great role. I mean, I, I can't have higher praises for, for what she did in this movie. A very, very subtle uh, portrayal of her main character, Louise Banks, who is a linguist. She teaches at a university and uh, she is, uh, her co-star is um, Jeremy, what's his name again? Jeremy Reynolds, Renner, Jeremy Renner, who of course we know from the Avengers, where he plays the dude with the bow and arrow. And in this case, he plays a scientist. Um, and the both of them are recruited for, for Amy Adams' character. It's pretty clear why. Because uh, they're trying to establish contact with these aliens. And, and uh, they land in uh, kind of shell-shaped or st- oval dark stones uh, as, as tall as a skyscraper. And uh, they hover on 12 locations on the planet Earth. Uh, and it's, it seems to be impossible to get an idea of what they want. They, they, they're, they're just hanging there. Um, but apparently on uh, all these locations, uh, they have entered those, those ships. There is a, an opening on the bottom of the stone or the oval, uh, whatever it is. And then you can actually step inside and talk to the inhabitants of that spaceship. Um, and so Amy, uh, Amy Adams, I'll call her Amy, but Louise, uh, is, uh, uh, is being recruited by the government, by the army, um, because she has, uh, uh, translated something for, um, for the government before. And so she still had security clearance. It feels a little bit contrived <laughs> that they pick her out of so many other linguists that must be available. And uh, you would wonder, well, why, why, why don't they just gather a team? This is, but for the sake of the story, of course, uh, that's fine with me. And then uh, Jeremy Renner's character is called Ian Donnelly. And he too is recruited. We don't get his backstory, which is a constant uh, disbalance a bit in the movie. 
uh, Amy Adams' character clearly has the most important role, whereas uh, uh, Jeremy's character is just a supporting actor. But I think it would have been perhaps more interesting if they had developed his backstory a bit as well, because the two of them are are so important. And towards the end of the story, as you know, if you've seen the movie, uh, well, they end up together. So it kind of feels a bit uh, that he's been forgotten a bit too much. Crossing a road here and entering into the deeper forest. Uh, Lots of pine trees here, so this is definitely a nicer place to walk. Um, so they're, they're, they're being recruited by uh, an, a, a general, or at least they get a visit from uh, Forrest Whitaker's character, uh, Colonel w- uh, Weber, I think his name is Weber. And uh, the three of them actually form the, the core of the story. There are some minor characters as well. And of course, as in, as is kind of <laughs> expected in movies like this, uh, our two heroes need to have antagonists. And in this case, they're not the aliens, but they are the, the military who react as the military in, um, in Close Encounters, as we've seen in the X-Files, as we've seen in, uh, in even E.T. Uh, they want to kind of blast at those things out of the sky. Uh, again, it's a bit one-dimensional the way they are portrayed. Um, it's like every site, every landing site of those spaceships has a small base, a military base at the foot of those things. And then, uh, and then there is some Skype communication, like a, a digital communication between all those different uh, experts that are trying to approach these aliens, um, backed by their gov- governments. And of course, uh, this this is going to be a major problem later on. But we'll get to that. The the thing is, the movie creates very quickly an opposition in approach. So this is all about first contact. What do you do when this happens? Um, do you react out of fear um, or suspicion? And that's kind of the job of the military in in this story. Or do you have a more open attitude? And of course, Amy Adams' character and Jeremy's character are uh, are scientists. Well, one is a physician, uh, not a physician, how do you call that? Uh, someone who's very much into physics and, uh, um, and uh, technology. Amy Adams is a scientist in a certain way, uh, but her field of study is languages and how languages are formed, how they, how they evolve, how people communicate. And I love the way that they took two people from the world of science as, as, as symbols of, uh, of an, open, an open mind. Hey, a biker. I'm not sure if he, was, if he was talking to me or talking on the phone to someone else. Um, because, of course, that's what science is. It's a certain openness, it's a curiosity, without prejudice, because that would hamper your research. It's just, let, let's just observe, let's listen, let's examine, let's take a look, and let's not get to conclusions before we have more definitive proof of 
what's going on and and, and understand it's not even proof of what's going on because that also presupposes uh, lots of things but it is until we have a better understanding and um, those two characters I'll I'll get back to them why why I'm so um, intrigued by their presence in the story and why I think it's a there is a deeper layer to to that but anyway um, the both of them well uh, Jeremy's character uh, Ian is eager to uh, investigate and to participate in this uh, Amy Adams' character Louise is a lot more reluctant. Uh, she uh, gets to hear this recording uh, of the sounds that these aliens make. Forrest Whitaker, of course, Forrest Whitaker, uh, major celebrity already, and uh, even more famous now because of his role in uh, in, uh, in in Star War- in Rogue One, the Star Wars story. So it's it's cool to see him in two movies that are in theaters at the same time but um, they have recorded a bit of the alien chatter and they play it back to to uh, Louise I'm just gonna use their screen names from now on and uh, and then they want to <laughs> they want uh, Louise to to give them basically uh, an explanation or a translation of what these aliens are saying and then her first reaction is well that's impossible. You, you can't tell because for communication you have to meet. It's not enough to have some, some sounds. You need to see who is uttering these sounds. Uh, you have to... Are, are we even talking about one entity? Uh, or is this an entire group? You can't tell from the sounds. And so uh, I, they, wanted, they, want, they, they don't want to give her that information because this is such a top-secret thing, and of course it would cause a lot of panic if they would uh, leak too much information to the outside world. Panic is, is happening, of course, anyway. Um, but she refuses. She's like, I, I cannot be who you want me to be unless you give me more access to these aliens, unless I see them face-to-face. And that's what happens. So she's brought to the the camp that's where she meets her colleague um the scientist ian and it's clear from the beginning that her role is more important because the first thing you need to do is establish communication and for so for the for the first part um the first few days they've only had these appearances of of these two uh octopus kind of creatures on the other side of a glass pane and they they seem to be in a in some kind of mist uh it's unclear it looks a bit like uh if you go to sea world you know one of those huge fish tanks and it's probably because the atmosphere on the planet that these creatures come from is very different from ours but it makes it's also a, a symbol this uh separation between the two worlds. It's, it's, it's a separation of our world on one side of the glass and uh, in a, a breathable environment. And then you have the world, the alien world, on the other side of the glass. And it's a different universe with a different language and a different reality. This is very important. And, and so the, the, the big challenge for... Uh, Louise is to 
somehow communicate beyond the the glass. And there's an interesting detail. I might actually go into the layers of this story. So I've already talked about the archetypical behavior of both scientists. They're much more open and less prone to prejudice because of their science background compared to the military that only wants to know, are are these creatures a threat or not? Um, So they are entering the spaceship for the first time and the the very cool first thing that happens is that gravity is not inverted but it is slanted so uh they're well you've you've seen the movie so you know what i'm talking about they they step outside their uh, uh little cage and all of a sudden they have to jump forward which is i guess also a a bit of a symbolic moment. It's like, do you want to take the leap into this new reality that isn't yours, that that you don't have control over? And Amy is much more willing to do that. Uh, But she gets some help from Forrest Whitaker's character. And so they jump and she's the first one to, to make the jump. And then the scientist, Ian, jumps later, does it by himself, but falls and, well... He seems to have more difficulty adapting in the end, even though he seems to be the stronger character of the two. Um, and then, so the in, instead of the gravity pulling them to Earth, the gravity is now vertical. And so what used to be the walls that lead up in this huge kind of pit above, they're at the bottom of the pit, all of a sudden they can walk on the, on the walls of this... Uh, long corridor that too is symbolic of course it's like the laws of your own world don't apply here and you think that you see where this corridor is going <laughs> you think it's up but for the aliens it's sideways it's, it's one of the brilliant ways in which the movie right from the get-go gives us hints at what this encounter will mean in terms of a paradigm shift Um, you have to understand reality not from your own perspective because your own perspective is no longer the only perspective you you have gravity for these aliens is is different and apparently also uh, modifiable and so they have to adapt to that and it's funny to see that uh, Louise is has less trouble doing that probably because well because the science the science guy Ian is used to I mean science is about discovering the fundamental laws of the universe and making deductions on based on what you know and so for him um, the rules of gravity are universal rules and so he literally has trouble standing straight in this new reality where it it turns out that the the things that he thought were immutable and universal are not. Whereas um, Louise, as a scientist, uh, learning languages is used to adapting to the foreign language. Remember the first thing she, uh, she does when she hasn't heard about the aliens landing yet is, uh, let me turn right here, I'm just following my nose, no idea where this leads, 
um, she, she talks about Portuguese and where it comes from. And, uh, of course, no one is listening to her because all the students are watching the alien landi- landings at the time. But she says some interesting things, and it's, it's about language, and that language evolves, and, and I, I don't re- recall exactly what she says, but I assume it's something uh, along the lines of, in order to learn a language, you have to listen first. And uh, it's um, making the reality of someone else your own reality. I'm kind of interpreting. I have no idea if she really said that, but it wouldn't, be, wouldn't surprise me. So her attitude as a linguist is one of, of adapting to um, not, not imposing your own grammar and your own vocabulary on the world of someone else, but to try to discover the internal laws of the people that you try to learn the language of. And I thought it was very profound. This is something that I've um, experienced myself in my life several times. Uh, You may know that as a young seminarian, when I just started my formation to become a priest, I did not start in my own country. I uh, moved for five years to a country south of the Netherlands, Belgium, and I moved to the part where they speak French and not Dutch. And so for five years, I had to learn French. And not just learn it in the way that I'd learned it in school, uh, enough to read a book, enough to write a letter, but I had to learn the intricacies, the, the, the details of a language, and um, I had to learn it on a level that is deeper than any other level of communication, and that's, for me at least, the level of prayer. I had to pray in, in French. And the funny thing is, this movie... Uh, at several times is, is one of the important elements of one of the things that they learn from the aliens is that if you learn another language you not only master uh, communication or vocabulary or grammar but you adapt your, your brain to thinking in that language and even dreaming in that language And that is another huge shift. Once you start mastering another language, you are also subconsciously mastering a a type of thinking. And this differs from language to language. But it's, it's not the case that as long as you know the words and grammar, you also understand another people. And I've witnessed this myself to be very true in that I had to learn French. I was completely immersed in in that language for five years. And I remember it was around the second half of the second year that I was in Belgium that I had my first dream in French. <laughs> and I I started to notice that if I prayed in French... My prayers were very, were very different from my prayers in Dutch. It, it, in a certain way, French was an easier way to an easier language to pray in than Dutch. It, 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 Dutch felt very distant in 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 the words that we use. God is um, you don't have this in English, of course, because you and you is <laughs> you have no words for someone who is a superior to you. But, but in, in German, in Dutch, we have 
different words. If I talk to a friend or a close relative, I will use a very familiar form of you when I uh, talk to the king or the queen, uh, to, to high-ranked politicians or to God, we use this more solemn form of the word you. And in French, that, that di difference exists as well. But the funny thing is the French and the, and the people in Belgium, they talk to God as if they talk to a close relative. And so they use this familiar form of you. And to me, that made such a difference in the way I approached God, <laughs> in the way I talked to God. It, in French, it felt as if I was talking to someone who is very personally close to me. And the moment I would switch to Dutch, it felt like I'm talking to another entity in a way. <laughs> God felt much more distant. It's just words, but there is also a different attitude behind it. Now, that's a very important point in this movie as well. It's not just about mastering the words and the, and the, and the grammar. It's, it's learning to think like the aliens. And that changes everything. I'll get to that. But, so, you see why, why this movie talked to me on many levels. I was like, wow, I, I totally know that experience. Once you start to speak another language, on the level of it becoming your second language... Um, and I, I learned it at the age of 18, so I was still very mal malleable. Is that the word? Um, it's, it was still, my brain was flexible enough to learn a language almost as good as Dutch. And so it did change my thinking. It did change um, my... Even, even when I would write... Uh, I studied philosophy for four years, and if I would write my uh, thesis, I could tell that the French way of thinking was was <laughs> helping me write that thing. And I don't know if I would have written the same thesis in Dutch. It's so funny. I've also studied uh, a, a German philosopher who who later became became a saint, uh, uh, Therese. Uh, What's, gosh, uh, uh, Edith, no, Edith Stein. And she used to work for Husserl, a famous German philosopher. And it was a very different way of thinking. And I had trouble explaining in, in French her, her reasoning in German. And later on, I, went, I studied um, the writings of John Paul II, a uh, Polish pope. And that was a whole different way of thinking as well. Uh, felt more like the Polish was less precise compared to German, but it was richer. And, and the way they approach a problem is by not going methodically in a linear way like uh, some great German thinkers do. This is point one, point one A, point one B. Let's move over to two. Uh, Polish thinking is more concentric. They will just describe, they'll just kind of wander around it and they'll get a little bit closer and make another turn and then bit by bit you kind of start to d discover what's in the center so it's a whole different way of thinking um in in this movie it's of course uh not a theoretical 
uh, aspect of, of, of language and comprehension and communication, this turns out to be vital for the future of Earth and <laughs> the people on Earth. They need to learn a different way of thinking. This is the kind of transformative message that this movie tries to bring its audience, and that is we, we need a paradigm shift in our own way of thinking. We are often approaching uh, our world and our problems in the, our familiar way, uh, the, in, in the language and the structures that we're used to. But what if you would look at things from the perspective of these aliens that live in a, in a different, mm, at a different pace almost? Um, they're not beyond time. But time for them is, is definitely something much, more, much less linear. And so in this movie, uh, especially in the second part, you start to understand that there is also something going on here with memory, with, with events, and how not just the past events can teach us something and will tell us what to do when we're faced with important decisions, but this movie uh, goes beyond that, and the story tells us that sometimes future events can teach you what to do in the present. <laughs> and this is one of the brilliant plot twists in this movie. Um, but let me just, let me get to that later. Uh, but I love I love the way that the the story does this, where you discover that what you thought was the past, Louise's past, turns out to be her future, and what that means for the decisions that she has to take, not just decisions when it comes to interacting with the aliens, but also uh, decisions that she has to take about her personal future. But first, let's, let's go back to that first encounter when gravity has shifted and they're standing there in front of that uh, glass separation and these um, strange, strange aliens appear. They almost look like, like it's... At first, I was like, wow, I bet you that th these are not two separate aliens, but they're just the hands of the big alien <laughs> somewhere out there. They look like, like tentacles. Um, and, uh, well, it turned out I was wrong, but it was interesting anyway. Uh, it's funny that uh, uh, Louise and, and Ian, uh, they, they try to communicate first in the way that it's, it's asked of them. The military wants to know what the plans are of these aliens. Are you hostile? Are you friendly? And they want to know that as soon as possible. Uh, of course, uh, Louise and Ian know that there is a long way to go before you can have conversations like that. Um, which, again, has a deeper meaning. It, it's, it's, this is also a statement about how we should communicate with each other. We often think that as long as we know a few words, that we, uh, that we get the other person and that we can switch to a level of communication and talk about the important issues. And uh, at, at first, there's even some criticism on, on Louise's approach when she, she wants to teach these aliens words like walking and food. And, and they're like, well, we don't want to talk about food or coffee right now. We need to talk war or peace. Before you can get to that level... You first have to have the patience to learn this other language and, more importantly, to learn about the way of thinking, the, the universe, the, the laws of that other, uh, that other 
you know, group of, in this case, aliens. But this is also true of our own interactions when it comes to different cultures. We, we often look at other cultures, this is a big problem right now in society, through the lens of our own culture. And if it's, if it's not compatible, if we see strange behavior or people react in a different way, give different answers, even though we may have language interpreters and we may have Google Translate, but we often don't understand and that creates fear. It's, it's learning someone else's world takes time and patience and requires the discipline of openness to not come to conclusions before you have taken the time to immerse yourself in a world, not just observe. That's, that's also an important uh, change in the movie when Louise starts with observing. She's literally looking through the window at that other world, but she's not a part of it. And she only gets to a certain point. Uh, and then later on, she actually enters the spaceship by herself, and she, she, she is on the other side of the window. She's in that world, and that's only at that point is she truly able to understand. And it, it, it takes... A lot of time. I'm not sure how much time uh, is, is between the events in this movie, but certainly weeks. And so that's, that's still incredibly quick when you look at the amazing difference between those aliens and whatever other culture we have here on Earth. But anyway, for the sake of the movie, it's probably necessary that this doesn't take too much time. Um, so it's this, this again, the, and this is science. This is a scientific attitude. It's, you know, science has time. You don't want pressure on scientists. Uh, you, you cannot force results in science. You have to observe. You have to think. You have to try out. You have to calculate. And all that takes time. And you cannot force a conclusion. A conclusion has to follow from the process. You can just put more people at work. That's perhaps the only way to accelerate certain research. Uh, or give people better tools but the process itself cannot be rushed. And if you rush it, you may jump to conclusions too early. This is something um, that we also see in another field of <laughs> creativity, which is the media, the press. Uh, we unfortunately live in times where the press is under a lot of pressure. And the biggest pressure of all is to make money to sell newspapers, to get viewers to watch the commercials in between the news bulletins. And so journalists have less and less time and resources to observe, to stay impartial, to not jump to conclusions before you know both sides of the story, and perhaps there are even more than two sides to a story. And it's almost as if this pressure... Um, changes the nature of journalism. And journalism becomes more and more about telling a good story rather than helping to uncover the truth and helping people truly understand. You see that during elections. And our American listeners, of course, know exactly what I mean. Um... It was almost every day there was breaking news. And this is a, this has go, been going on for, for much longer than just the elections. And very often, what is breaking news today turns out to be 
you know, uh, a, a different thing in the future. And uh, the conclusions that uh, journalists brought you as the definitive truth about dot 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 turned out to be different. And even politicians are starting to 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 uh, use uh, their own perception of reality as a substitute for the truth. This is a massive problem when it comes to trusting your politicians. If they just, if they thwart the facts and spread blatant lies, and even admitting a few days later that was, that was a lie, that was just something we made up, that is a massive problem. Because how can you trust if you know that someone is manipulating reality to make it fit their interests. And this is, this is a, a big story of, or a big plot point of the movie, is that at one point the military are getting scared uh, because some countries, China and some other peop- uh, countries that are under the influence of China, decide to pull out and to take military action. They don't seem to have the patience to wait and observe and examine and, and then uh, they rupture communications. So there's no longer... The, the, the different stations, the 12 stations on the planet, don't talk to each other anymore. And that's when the military feels the pressure of doing something. Not because it's necessary. Not, not because it's warranted. Uh, because these aliens do nothing that it can be interpreted as, as hostile. Um but they feel that they need to act because that's what expected of them. That is what they're paid for as an army. It's to do the military thing, defend the people, and even if there's no threat. And so the, the necessity of showing that they're doing something goes overrules the, the truth of the situation where there is no threat. There's no, there's no threat, not even a perceived threat. And so that creates, of course, a massive problem later on. Uh, again, back to our scientists, Louise and, and Ian. Um, they don't want to think like that. Um, that. That's not their view of the world. And so what I thought was a brilliant moment is when Louise takes this whiteboard and a black marker. And the first thing she communicates in written form is her name and then she points to herself that's me louise and then ian does the same writes down his name and 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 points to himself and so it's a proper introduction and that's what it, what actually solicits a response the first new communications from the aliens and they use this kind of floating inked ink sorry to create these very intricate circles. And it's pretty obvious to Ian and Louise that they are writing their names. And that's the first time (laughs) that communication truly has a breakthrough. And it starts with introducing uh, yourself. So what's, what's the story telling us here? Is that true communication starts with... Um, a true encounter. It's that the knowing your um, 
the other the other person or the alien on the other side of the of the of the glass that's the first thing that needs to happen that's the first act of language is personalizing the other party instead of talking about concepts and so it's the most um personal thing and that could have gone wrong as well <laughs> i mean this movie has um the aliens are self-aware and they have a personality. Uh, if they had been the Borg in a different universe, that wouldn't really be that interesting of a question. So who are you? But because they are the Borg. There are there there used to be individuals, but they are now part of a collective. And so, but that's not the 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 choice that this movie makes. So the, these aliens too have a personality. They have separate. They're separate individuals. And because, of course, their names are impronounceable, they are being baptized by Ian and Louise as Abbott and Costello. And I thought it was brilliant to make it... Um, again, it's like uh, using your own categories to acknowledge a reality of the other side. You may not use the same words, but Abbott and Costello are, are just our earthen equivalents of... of uh, it's the earthen way of, of, of acknowledging that the, there are two separate aliens that we're talking to and they have a name and an individuality. And that's when this communication evolves and it just takes days and weeks. And every single time they make a little bit of progress, you feel like this is going to take forever. And that's basically what Amy Adams' character is saying. This, this will take a long time. And in the meantime, the military has no patience whatsoever. Um, it's interesting to see that Ian's character is kind of laid back and is just, I mean, he's supporting what she does, but it's clear that she's, she has taken the lead from the get-go. The, the, the other element uh, of communication are what you think are flashbacks at the beginning of the movie. Uh, I, I remember the first voiceover that you hear in the morning, where uh, Louise says to her child, you know, your story starts at the day that they left or something like that. You think that it's a flashback, and you see that she's raising this child, and her child turns out to have an incurable disease. And once once, uh, Louise knows about that illness, she talks to it to her husband who cannot handle that uh, and he leaves her and for the half of the movie you think that this is in her past and the, but these little these flashbacks give her ideas um, and every time these dreams because they're they turn out to be not flashbacks they turn out to be dreams of the future they tell her what to do and you think it's unclear whether the aliens are giving her these dreams, whether it is, you know, being in this strange new reality that, that, that all of a sudden she gets these visions, or, and this is also a possibility, this is Louisa herself who has a special gift and is able to see not the past, but what she sees is the future of her child. Her child has not been born yet. And I have to, again, I have to applaud how subtle 
Amy Adams is playing her character. Uh, I was so amazed by the quality of her acting. Uh, she added so much to the script um, and made it totally believable, which is a very, very <laughs> impressive thing to do with something that is so implausible as, as, as trying to make us believe, and she totally did that, that we were looking at flashbacks. And it turns out it's her future that we are seeing. And so instead of just using sounds, words, or symbols, and they eventually even crack the language that these aliens are using, um, these flashbacks and glimpses of the future um, are, an are an integral part of the communication. And it gives her direction. It makes her understand how to communicate with these aliens and what, the, what they want. And it turns out, as you have seen, that the aliens are not there to get something, but they are there to give something. And in their language, the word tool is the same word as we use for weapons. And so that's where you get the confusion and the panic of the army. Like, they're talking weapons. Now is the time to act. And it's crazy because, of course, as anyone who's learned another language knows, even if you think you understand a word, uh, a word may have a completely different context and connotation than you think it has in your own language. Think of the word snow <laughs> in, uh, in Eskimo language. Um, there is, there's much more subtlety because they have much more of it. And or, or the, the color white in, 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 in countries where everything is white because of the cold, you may have so many different words for white that our one word is not enough. I, I have that constantly um, with English and Dutch. There are some words in English that for me have a much more easy to understand meaning than if I had to use the same word in Dutch. And so oftentimes when I'm translating things, I have to use more words in Dutch or, or the other way around. Sometimes we have a certain expression in, in Dutch, like uh, there is this word that we use all the time because it's part of our culture. And it's, it's the word gezelligheid. It almost sounds alien. Gezelligheid. It has these, these you know, guttural... Uh, consonants in it and it, there is no word in English for that whereas if, if, I, if I use that word in Dutch everybody understands what it is it's, it's, this is, it evokes um, ideas the idea of, of, of being together having a fun time um, it's warm there is not a good food uh, everybody's friendly that, that's what we call gezelligheid you see how many words I need to explain to you in English what that is and I'm not even sure that I can, under, I can describe what it is because it's, this is linked to a certain behavior in the Netherlands where, uh, for instance, at around 10.30 in my parish, every morning, all the volunteers will get together and we'll have a cup of coffee. But we don't stand. We sit at a table and we have cookies and, and we chat and uh, we laugh and we tell jokes. That, that whole event can be described by gezelligheid. <laughs> See what I mean? But it can also be a totally different situation where, you know, it's on a party and uh, everybody's kind and um, uh, the curtains have a nice color 
and there are twinkling lights and and it's the house looks is is well decorated and and it gives you a certain feeling like warm fuzzy feeling on the and that, that's we call that gezelligheid too so it has nothing to do with just cookies or coffee it can be in so many different situations well so <laughs> that that is the big problem in the movie is that the words alone are not enough and the military because they have that closed one directional attitude they jump to conclusions way too fast and that that's also happening in other parts of the world and so all of a sudden you just start to discover that even though we speak different languages on the planet earth our behavior is very earth-like and so if you speak chinese or, or whether you speak spanish or or english all these governments jump to the same conclusion and that is these aliens are a threat and we need to destroy them before they destroy us <laughs> it's a, it's another interesting uh message i think of the movie that even though we think we are very different here on earth and we speak so many different languages and the the chinese general that is on tv uh, seems to be so <laughs> archetypical chinese and rigid and un- inflexible and and uh, i think even the movie tries to make you have a certain uh judgment on that on that character they go this is a typical chinese general and you know yeah there's no reasoning to that it's almost as if 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 the movie lures you into having a negative uh a uh, negative perception of that person and you and you feel superior like of china <laughs> and of course the movie does that on purpose because later on in the movie we get to know this chinese general from a completely different angle and turns out well gosh he lost his wife and he has a soul and he ha- he is he is a very reasonable person um uh, again it's um i love how the movie tells us these things in the context of a good science fiction story that by the way is what science fiction if it's good science fiction always does it's it 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 shows us a mirror of our own world and and tells a story in a way that you are forced or invited to think about your own reality and look at it from a different angle that's that's what i love about science fiction and so in this case uh the word weapon turns out to be a trigger word <laughs> literally for the army and for uh uh the general uh, what's his name and so even though not everyone is is as f- freaked out um they still have to leave the base and that's the moment that uh louise takes this decision to go into the spaceship by herself and uh before you know it she is floating in this weird mist liquid whatever it is i was thinking bacta tank <laughs> that's because i'm a star wars boy <laughs> and uh by the way great job on the digital hair <laughs> that was a, a pretty amazing technique it, it did look a little bit cgi to me but it's probably because i knew that that had to be animated and then you start looking at it differently even though perhaps if 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 this was real if this were real her hair would move like that but because you your mind tells you this is also kind of a meta thing your mind tells you this can't be real 
you cannot film this. So the hair must be digital. And then you, you, you tell yourself that you see that it's digital. <laughs> but it's, it's my perception of... It's, it's what I think ought to be that is determining my judgment that this is artificial. Uh, it's getting very meta. <laughs> so, and that's when she gets these dreams. She hears, by the way, because there has been this uh, attack, this uh, uh, rogue group of military, again, kind of not very plausible in that situation, but that they, they put a bomb in the room where they're conversing with the aliens. And so one of the aliens is uncertain if it's related to the bomb attack, but anyway... Um, uh, I think it was Costello is dying, and uh, that's when uh, Amy's character discovers that these aliens are also mortal, and that they can die, and there is grief. And it's almost as if the other alien is uh, making a testament, uh, knowing that this may end in a very bad way. For them, they truly, they finally convey to her that they want to help Earth because three thousand years from now, they will need Earth's help, and their gift is going to be this universal language that will help people understand each other. Um, <laughs> that's where the movie gets very um, idealistic, and everything goes a bit fast, <laughs> way too fast. But it doesn't matter because at this point you're already in this movie like, oh, this is, this is one big metaphor. This is, this is a fairy tale. And it's about the message and, and not about the plausibility of, of, of the situation. And I have to say, even though the story at times is a bit uh, implausible, the acting and the way it's done is so, is so excellent that you, you go along with it. I, I went along with it. There was not a moment in the movie where I was like, yeah, pfft. <laughs> that can't happen. <laughs> so, um, the so the gift is this universal language, which of course is the big message of the movie. Um, you have to understand each other, um, <laughs> and in order to be able to do that, you you need each other's language, and human language is often too limited to truly understand each other fully, and that's why we need a different language. That's, that's pretty deep, actually. Uh, I'll, I'll get to the application of what, what I think it could mean, or how I'm reading this movie. Um, and then, of course, uh, the big, big reveal and the, the, the twist is at the end of the story, where um, she, she gets this flashback, uh, or actually it's a flash-forward, this vision of the future where she meets with this Chinese general and he shows her his personal number on his cell phone and tells her that he remembers that she called him out of the blue on his personal cell phone and told him the words that her his dying uh, uh, wife was, was telling him and so nobody else could know. And she tells, he tells this to her, but it's a vision from the future. And so she comes back with the number in her head. She grabs that satellite phone. And that's again where Ian has to play a, 
a secondary role of he has to kind of uh, uh, protect her so that she doesn't get shot because she's using this phone illegally. Um, and so the only job that he has is to buy her some time. That's, that's about it. Um, but anyway, she makes the phone call and that brings about world peace. <laughs> or at least it makes uh, this Chinese general, it convinces this Chinese general that there is more to this than uh, just an alien threat that requires military action. And so they pull out, they reestablish communications, and the rest of the world follows. And that's exactly what the aliens had been trying to teach the humans, is you have to work together. To You have to all embrace this universal language. That's the only way forward. Anything else leads to death. And destruction. <laughs> Another big, big message of the movie. And... Uh, the final moments in a movie are, I think, the most uh, profound ones. And that really touched me, where the aliens leave. Uh, brilliantly done, by the way, these, these, these huge spaceships all of a sudden kind of dissolving as if they're soluble in water. It, it, it's just really, really well done. Very cool effect. And then Amy uh, Adams' character, Louise, is, is, is still there. And she realizes that the man who in the future she'll be married to is standing next to her. It's Ian. And the two of them will have a child. And that child will have an incurable disease and will die at the age of, what is it, 15, 16? And discovering that disease will be the reason that Ian will leave her. She, she has already seen all that. And then she is confronted with, of course, the biggest question of all. Do I still engage in this marriage? Do I still wed this man and have this child? Knowing the future, knowing how it will end, will I still make first contact? <laughs> That's brilliant. So the story, all of a sudden, of the aliens, perhaps the aliens knew that, you know, some of them would die. And perhaps they knew exactly what that the humans would not react, that there was a big chance that they would react aggressively and with military force, and that some of those aliens wouldn't live, and the whole, the whole thing might may completely falter and, and fail. And yet they did choose to, to do it anyway to land and to try to establish communications and to trust because they, the aliens are in a way more vulnerable than the humans in this movie but apparently these aliens uh, are convinced that they have to do it anyway and in the same way Louise makes the decision that even though she knows how her story will end she decides to go ahead and marry that man and have that child and love them very dearly. And I thought that was such a strong message. And this is not, I mean, I don't want to analyze this movie from, the, from a philosophical point of view, you know, it's just determinism, or, or is she predetermined, uh, what about, about free will? That's not what this story wants to tell you. This story wants to tell you that even though you may already know where the future will, will lead or what it will entail, 
and that it might not end well for you, that it's still worth living. And that love is not measured in hours or days or years, but it's measured in the love that you share. That's the value, not the duration. And that's true for her child, which we see in all those flashbacks or flash-forwards that she loves dearly every single moment, perhaps even more because she already knows that her child is not going to be old. She's not going to live long. And then the relationship, same thing. She knows that that relationship at one point will end, and she still chooses to love that man for the duration of that relationship. And I thought that was a, such a powerful message. And it spoke, it touched me because I, I feel that this is something that we can all recognize. And now I'm getting to the, the kind of the personal interpretation of this. Why did this story touch me? And why do I want to see this movie again at one point? And, and do I think that there is more food for thought? It's because it relates to where I am in my life, where we are in our lives. We are facing similar situations. But before I get to that, I want to... I told you at the beginning of this recording that I thought that there were lots of parallels with the nativity story. And this morning... Again, I'm recording this on a Sunday afternoon. I can go here to the left. It's a horse trail. So it's very... It's not muddy. It's kind of dry. Could also move ahead. I've already walked for an hour now, so I'm probably completely off track. Anyway, uh, this morning we were reading the readings of the fourth Sunday of Advent, and that tells the story this year of Joseph, who learns that um, his soon-to-be wife, Mary, is pregnant, and he's not the father. And this is a very important uh, story in the whole sequence of nativity stories because this is about the difference between human plans and God's plans. Or you could also say between the language of God and the language of humans, the way we react to things. God is looking at everything in history, in our world, in creation, from a divine angle. From a divine perspective, his plans, this is literally in the, in the Old Testament, uh, God's plans are not our plans. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And the gospel passage where Joseph is confronted with what's happening to Mary is, is an example of what happens when you discover that your plans are not going to materialize. And when you discover God's plans. And it's all about how to discern that. And it's funny that there is a difference between Mary and Joseph in these stories. Remember the first time that Mary uh, becomes aware of God's plan with her is when, according to uh, the story, the angel Gabriel is visiting her, telling her that she will uh, be the mother of the Redeemer, that the Holy Spirit will come over her, and that her child is going to be the Savior. And uh, that is an apparition of an angel. And Mary's answer, after the initial hesitation, you know, how is this going to happen? 
Um, and again, she's, she's talking from a human perspective. This, this, how, how can this be? How will, you know, what's going to be, what are the consequences of this? Um, it's a very legitimate question. But after that initial hesitation, she says, Behold, the servant of the Lord. Uh, may it happen according to your will. And in the, in the story of Joseph, there is a different communication. Joseph, too, has made his plans. I mean, he was about to marry uh, his wife, his fiance, uh, Mary. And now that he has learned that she's pregnant and he's not the father, uh, he already pre-plans the the scandal that that's going to give. And so he thinks about it, he ponders about it. It's, it's noted that he is a just man. So he wants to protect Mary from this potential scandal. And so he decides to to leave her in silence. So she may be able perhaps to go to another village where they don't know her. Or Anyway, he has planned that that's the best course of action. Let's just leave each other and... Uh, that's perhaps better than uh, staying in this in this relationship and then people discovering that I'm not the father. Um, and so he has already made his plans. And then he, he has a dream. It's very interesting that in this case, God is using the language of dreams, which God is very familiar with. There are tons of dreams in the Bible that uh, convey God's will. And I've always wondered why that is. Why wouldn't God just speak like he spoke to Moses <laughs> in the um, uh, flaming, uh, what is it, the, the burning bush? Why does God sometimes use dreams? It's probably because dreams have more, how would you say that? There is more space in dreams. There is more, um, This this is, these stories are about, the mystery of God's plans. And because God's plans are not human plans, and our mind is unfit to understand all the ins and outs, sometimes God needs a, not, a tr- not a human language, but uses the language of dreams. And dreams, we know from experience that dreams are not just words. Not even a sequence of events. There is, there is space, there is something in dreams that is beyond our day-to-day reality. In a dream... Anything is possible. Isn't that funny? You, you, can, you can dream and it may, you may be in a very realistic world. Uh, and it, it looks as if you're just dreaming reality. And all of a sudden there is something weird happening. And you don't even realize that it's weird. Because it's a dream. So it's, yeah, it just happened. <laughs> now I can fly. Or there's this elephant talking to me. <laughs> I'm just, now I'm a superhero. Anything can happen in a dream. And I think that that is one of the things that God wants to convey to us humans, that in God's, from God's perspective, things that are impossible in, from a human point of view are possible in that dream reality. This is kind of like me interpreting why God would use the language of a dream. But anyway, what, he, what the angel, because he, Joseph dreams of an angel that talks to him, and the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And the child that she will uh, that that she she uh, bears 
uh, will be called, you will have to call it Jesus. And it's the fulfillment of the prophecy that the young woman will become pregnant and have a child which will be called God with us, Emmanuel. And Joseph understands that, that is, this child is Emmanuel. It's God who becomes a child, who becomes part of us, of mankind. And the funny thing is that his answer is not a verbal answer like Mary, who says, basically, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Fiat voluntas tua, in, in, in Latin, is part of the Our Father. Uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Th that's basically Mary's reply. Um, Joseph answers with his feet and his hands. He, uh, the gospel says, he did exactly like the angel had ordered him. And so he too says yes to this big plan that he does not understand, um, that is communicated to him in a language that he does understand more or less, but he doesn't really know what's going to happen. And this is the funny thing about the whole nativity story. Uh, there are some hints at the future. Uh, the biggest hint is that this is not a regular child. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is God with us. Um, he doesn't get a human name, but the angel tells uh, Joseph and Mary how to name their child. And so they're following instructions from heaven <laughs> that they don't understand. And there are people that are prophe uh, prophesizing that this will not end well. <laughs> there is this old, old lady in the temple when Mary and Joseph bring their newborn child there uh, to dedicate it to God. And, and, and there's this prophecy that Mary's heart will be pierced by swords. And, and of course, that is going to happen. She is going to lose her son. Her son will be murdered by the Romans and die on the cross as a criminal. And it's a horrible, horrible ending. And already having this inkling that this might happen, she's forewarned. And yet the question is, are you going to proceed or not? Do you see how, what the parallel is with, this, with, the, with uh, the movie Arrival? Uh, Amy Adams is asked by life, by the events, <laughs> do you want to be the mother of this child? Do you want to be the wife of this man? And you know that in both cases this is not going to end well. And she still says yes. She still embraces it. And uh, with Mary and Joseph, the story is similar. They don't know exactly what the future is going to be of this child. And people say weird things and there are strange events happening uh, during uh, the time of birth and the visitors that they get. And, and so it must have been so scary. But their faith is bigger than their fear. And they love that child as its parents because they've been given this child. It's not theirs and it's not up to them to decide whether this child should live, how long it should live, what it should do. That's not their role to play. And uh, both Mary and Joseph, in a way, symbolize the same openness that you see in the characters of Ian and Louise in this movie. 
And there is also, there, are, there is a huge antagonist in the nativity story, which is King Herod. And he reacts like the military in this movie, with fear, with trepidation, when he hears that there is a, a king that is going to be born. And the only way, the only language that he knows is the language of power. And Herod was a very cruel dictator, uh, someone who murdered uh, so many people. He even had, uh, someone told me in his testament, uh, written that if he would die, uh, his soldiers had to uh, murder an entire village. Because he said if, if a king dies, then people should mourn, even when they hate me. I want them to mourn and I am going to make them mourn. I mean, the, the cruelty, the perverted imagination of a guy like that. Unbelievable. So his language is a language of, of aggression. Of, of, and and he, the only way that he can, can describe what's happening is in his terms. There is going to be this child who is going to rob me from what's mine. And that is power. And the only way that he knows how to answer that is with aggression, with violence, with murders. And that is, in the movie, the same problem. The, the, the military, their language is military language of, of, of risk assessment, of containment of risk, of uh, proactive attacks and whatnot. And they can only read the events uh, around these aliens in those terms. And so an alien is either an ally or it's an enemy. And they don't have the language to communicate in any other way. So the only question they want Amy's character to ask is, you know, what are your intentions? <laughs> what are you going, going to do? Attack us? Um, and the only way they can understand their answer, if it has this multi-interpretable word of, of a t either tool or weapon is uh, weapon. It's a weapon. Even if there's a remote chance that they're talking about weapons, we need to be proactive and strike first. And um, in the Nativity story, Mary and Joseph are deliberately portrayed as two people that are emblematic of the Jewish attitude of faith, which starts with Shema Israel. Listen, Israel. That is the most fundamental commandment in uh, the Jewish religious attitude. It starts with listening to God. It's not you who makes the plans. It's God who has the plans. And you have to listen before you speak, before you act. And both Mary and Joseph do exactly that in the Nativity story. They open themselves to this reality that is God's reality that they don't understand, but that they trust. And they trust it without having proof that God is trustworthy. Or they have no other proof than the fact that, so far, God has been good. And, and <laughs> that in, 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 the, in the movie, if you look at the way the aliens act, there is no proof that they are... I, they didn't even retaliate after the explosion, after the, the bomb attack. That should have been enough proof for the time being that they have no evil intentions. And so the trust of, of Mary and Joseph in, in, the, in the nativity story 
is of course also a message to us 2,000 years later that if we want to be followers of, of this Jesus, we have to act like he did, like his parents did. And that is, it all starts with listening, with not judging God's plans from your human perspective, because you will always misjudge God. And that, to me, is the most important message in, in my life. It's this discovery that if you believe, it has to do with trusting that no matter what happens in your life, you are part of God's plan. The thing is, that is oftentimes explained in a sense that you know, whatever goes wrong, there will still be, you know, as long as you do what God wants you to do, you're going to have prosperity and it's, you're going to be happy. And it's, that is not the Catholic way of looking at God's plan. God's plan may very well include lots of suffering, an unhappy life, a very unsuccessful life. And I'm not just inventing this. If you read the Bible, you find stories of huge human failures. Think of Moses. He brought his people to the promised land and he is not even seeing it with his own eyes. He dies before they enter. It's crazy. Look at the life of Jesus. He, his life ends on a cross. He's murdered. And he doesn't get, even get to the age of 40. That's crazy. That's a, a huge human failure. And it is still part of God's plan. And so who am I to tell God what he needs to do? Now, you may tell me, well, isn't, isn't that the whole purpose of praying? Isn't that asking God to do something for you? Isn't that this a typical, you know, Catholic thing of lighting candles and then you, you hand in your wish list and, and, and then you want God to do what, what he, you know, he, he want, you want God to be Santa Claus. But that is not the core of Christian prayer. Um, the, the thing about prayer is it doesn't change God. God does not need to be informed of, of our needs. He knows them before we utter them. He created us. He's, he knows our world. He knows Joseph and Mary by name. Isn't that, isn't that funny? The, the whole first encounter that is successful uh, in, in Arrival, in the movie Arrival, is when they introduce uh, themselves. It starts with a name. And in the story of Joseph and Mary, it also starts with the same thing. It's Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The angel knows exactly who they are. God knows who they are, what they need, and what their part in the plan is going to be. <laughs> and it's the same thing with the movie. Um, it starts with a personal relationship. And that personal relationship leads to trust. And trust leads to understanding, and you cannot skip that part of the of communication. Um, and so, in, in in our own lives, it's the same thing. It's not just about speaking other people's languages. Just like you know, for instance, if I apply this to social media, it's not it's not enough to to know the tricks 
of, of how to, uh, what hour of the day you should post your video to have the most the visibility or whatever. Social communication is not about marketing or not just about marketing. It's, it's about contact. It's about getting to know each other, establishing real relationships. And if you do that right, then it doesn't really matter how much time it takes or, or you can't quantify that. It's one of my big lessons. The, uh, I've been doing this for more than 10 years. To me, the most valuable aspect of being involved in social communications is having friends and having these friendships and sharing the deepest thoughts in my heart, which I don't even share with my family. And yet here I am recording this on a, <laughs> on a digital recorder and I don't even know who's going to listen to it. That's to me is, is, and that's not quantifiable. I don't know how many people are listening to this or will listen to this. Perhaps a hundred, perhaps a thousand. Doesn't matter. What, what matters is what happens. That is truly the, the value. And that is to me the biggest uh, message of this movie it's you, you, you cannot measure the value of life by its duration or its quality. You can only measure it by love. And love knows no time. And I think that's how ultimately this movie, with the whole future, knowing the future, etc., uh, <laughs> brings everything together so well it's it's she knows the future but she chooses love and the future becomes irrelevant as long as you live every moment with love and that is the reason for for the life that's ahead of, of her and I, I found I find that a very powerful message in our world for me personally as well as I often make plans. I, I'm creative. I love to think about what I'm going to do in five years from now. But I've also learned from experience many times that my plans are not always God's plans, or actually I should say are almost never God's plans. And his way of doing things is so different from mine. And it doesn't, you know, God doesn't prevent me from making plans. And I don't think there is a problem with that. As long as you keep that open mind that Ian and Louise in the movie symbolize, it's this uh, openness that if things change, if, if the, per, the alien that you talk to <laughs> has a more complicated message than you first initially thought, it's to broaden your mind and to adapt and to change. And if, if you think that you are not speaking on the same frequency, then change the frequency by all means. Try something else. And I would say the same is true in our relationship with God. If sometimes in our lives we have the feeling that we are no longer in tune with God and we somehow lost contact, then open your mind and, and, and try again and try something different and reconnect. <laughs> I love the fact that... Um, after the, the writing of the names, the, the next step in communication is the touch. It's when uh, 
a Amy Adams character walks towards the, the window pane. She takes off all, all her the, the protective hazmat suit and she touches the glass and the alien does the same. And it's a, an, another very symbolic moment in the movie that if you feel like you're getting nowhere, instead of making yourself stronger, that's what the military do, you make yourself more vulnerable. And in this case, it's Louise who, who makes the first step towards the glass. She puts herself at risk in order to reestablish communication. That's beautiful. That's, a, that's what we ought to do when communications are disrupted. It's uh, in, in the movie, the, when the communications with the other 12, uh, the other 11 stations uh, is, is, is broken because the Chinese don't want to put themselves at risk anymore, the reaction is, let's weaponize, let's uh, raise the alarm. And um, Amy's character does the opposite. When communication is no longer working between her and the aliens, she makes herself super vulnerable and starts with this, you know, putting, taking off her protective suit, putting her hand against the glass. And later on, she will go even beyond that because she will step into this pod and she is going to be on the other side of the glass. She could have died, <laughs> but she, her desire to reestablish contact, her trust in these aliens was much bigger than her fear and the preoccupation with her own survival. Uh, same thing, again, bringing this back to the story of Mary and Joseph. They literally put their lives at risk, their future, their plans, they are all giving it up and they move ahead because their desire to do God's will is much bigger than their fear of the future and even the fear of their own inabilities to accomplish that will. Uh, the message of the angel in both cases is, is the mention of the Holy Spirit, God's strength, which will strengthen you and will add to what you bring into the mix. So you don't never have to... If you enter into a relationship, you're no longer alone and you're not facing trouble alone anymore. Um, that's, that's what the aliens hope the humans understand, is that it's only by being in a relationship with all the other stations uh, that they can create this future that ultimately... 3,000 years from now will benefit the aliens. And the final thought about this is uh, I loved how this movie played with our perception of time versus the time of the aliens. The aliens have a much longer time frame in mind. They think in terms of 3,000 years. We think of like next year. Our politicians, the people that rule our, the world of money, and trade often only think about, you know, what's profitable to them in the next few years. And they don't care about long-term effects. It's a big, big risk for our world. And we often, unfortunately, adopt the same attitude. We can only think... That's because we're humans. We don't think in centuries. We think in, in years. It's often also the 
kind of misunderstanding between media and the church where the media always thinks of the of the way things go in the church and the catholic church is uh, akin to the political process but the political process only thinks of the next four years and then perhaps you know another four more years uh, and 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 then we'll see whereas the church thinks in centuries and knows that what matters is doing the right thing now and leaving the fruits of that the results of that to to god and it may very well be possible that we don't see the effects of the choices that we make but the thing that god asks us is not to understand the future not to know the future but to do the right thing here and now the future is the sum of our decisions today plus of course the <laughs> unknown factor of what god can do but the you have influence on your own future to the extent that you make the right choices today not tomorrow you know in the new year if you have a list of things you want to accomplish then none of that is ever going to materialize if on january the first you're going to think oh well that can be done on january the second <laughs> it's it's and and the same is true about our mistakes it's it's not uh if if we act selfishly for most of our lives that will determine our actions in the future it 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 trains us in reacting and speaking a certain language and doing certain things if herod is so cruel it's because he has a lifetime behind him of cruelties and he's become an expert in that and he can't speak the language of love anymore because he's never trained it so what do you do with your future What's ahead of, of, of you in your life? Maybe a fantastic life. I truly hope and pray it is going to be amazing and wonderful. But for a lot of us, the life ahead is going to be tough. It's going to be really difficult. And we're going to be faced with situations that if anyone would predict them and would tell us what would happen, we may never engage. We may just be stuck out of fear. I think what the gospel tries to teach us, and in a certain way what this movie is, I think, also trying to, to tell us, is that you can still move ahead even if you know that there is trouble ahead because it is about living the moment and making sure that you live out of love. That's what it's all about. And that makes anything else irrelevant or of secondary importance and if you choose if you make the right choices out of love based on love with patience trying to understand someone before judging that person trying to learn the language of others before you think you can uh, assess the situation from your own perspective if you live your life like that then you know that in the future when things get tough you will make the right choices because you have will have trained to make the right decisions you will have the right attitude to face that well wow that's uh, <laughs> that's the sum of all my thoughts about this movie arrival and uh now you know why i like the movie so much <laughs> 
I, I hope that this, this has been useful to some extent. This is the first time that I do an episode like this where I'm not just discussing the movie or giving a review of what was good or what was not, but rather I try to take the movie and talk about what, how I apply it to my life or to the things that I see around me or my worldview. And um, hopefully that adds to your appreciation of the movie. And again, it's just my perspective. And this might not be a layer <laughs> that uh, the writers have always consciously inserted into the story. But this is what I read into it. And that's why I love movies so much and stories. Because just like dreams, stories have deeper dimensions or at least they have space for deeper dimensions and uh, that's why it's not a news bulletin (laughs) thank you for listening thank you so much for your patience I hope this wasn't too long an hour and a half wow Um, let me know if you want me to do this more often in this way Uh, help me to improve this serve you better Um, your feedback is very valuable and if this is of any value to you then I would ask you in return if you could add value to our uh, work in 2017. Uh, We're still, when I'm recording this, in the middle of our winter fun drive. And we, (laughs) the big task that I always have is we're we're a small organization and yet we need to somehow fund what we do. and it's always to try to convince people that if it's really valuable for them, that they can invest in this so that it can be of value to other people as well. You help us reach more people and help them in their lives with what we do, but we can only do that if you help us to make that possible. So thank you so much for your support. And it can be as small as a prayer or a, or a positive thought. If prayer is not your thing. But if it's possible at all, uh, a financial uh, form of support is more than welcome. We still have a long way to go to meet our goals. And these are not just uh, arbitrary goals. We have calculated that this is what it takes to be able to do what we've done this past year, 2016, to continue doing this in 2017. If we don't meet our fund drive goals, We'll have to cut back. And, well, if that's what we need to do, we'll have to do it. But, of course, I'm hoping that with your support, we don't have to. And, on the contrary, we can expand. So, anyway, it's up to you. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon. Have a wonderful day, and I will see you in the future.